This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. This is Everything Elite, the world's best podcast devoted exclusively to all elite wrestling and the elite extended universe. I'm AB. I'm back. Uh, Nate is on assignment today, but I am joined, as always, by my good friend, Mike Spears. What's up, Mike? Aaron, I'm thriving. It was 45 degrees outside as I took the little champion out for his morning walk as we record this on a Sunday morning. And I'm not much of a fall flavors person. You know, I go cranberry and apple over pumpkin. But the crispness in the fall air, the leaves changing. I'm a fall boy. And I know that that's a controversial take that fall is the best season. But I right now, man, I'm doing good. I got to wear a knit hat for the first time in a while. And, you know, it's hoodie weather. This is Mike Spears time, essentially. Essentially. Uh, How are you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good. I took a i went there's a local park uh, here in town that i uh, went to yesterday just to kind of walk around and get some you know some outside inside it's good for you sometimes i think and uh you know we parked to start to walk and it's like a it's a big huge loop i mean it's i don't know three miles or so and uh we got started and i was like you know what let's just do this damn thing so we just walked the whole loop and walked for it took about an hour because we walked very slow because I'm very lazy, but uh, it was a lot of fun. And uh, you know, my cats didn't get absolutely destroyed and embarrassed at Georgia, so hard to ask for much more. Yeah, I mean, Georgia's a team of destiny at this point. I mean, we are a college football podcast, so let's get into it for a minute. Uh, I thought like that UK was admirable and gave them more of a fight than I thought that most teams will this year. I mean, Georgia is just going to sit on people. And the fact that UK got half, uh, got as many touched offensive touchdowns as all other games combined against Georgia this year, that's a big giant one. What's not a big giant one are the two and four Miami Hurricanes right now. Uh, <laughs> congratulations, Aaron Taub. Congratulations, Big Treat. Uh, this team is just, it's frustrating because... It's something where Derek King came back. He had a he had a knee injury. Then he's he got hurt again. So they're playing freshmen now, and the freshmen just it, it it's a team that like there's talent there, but it's very clear that the I mean the real story of the University of Miami Hurricanes is that they were a team perfect for their time and place. And each year we move away from that time and place, they more and more come down to earth. And it's just another year of that. I. Uh, was uh, talking in the Slack about how about Lane Kiffin today, and I was like, "What would Miami be if they got Lane Kiffin?" Because that is the like the dream coach for me right now. Is like they kind of need an asshole who's very charming and is like a- and gets younger football, and that's just not what's happened in the University of Miami, basically since uh, Larry Coker left. I would argue. I mean, there were a couple good Randy Shannon years. Uh, Mark Rick had like that one ten and two season, and then it's just been mediocrity and i'm and i'm not like a crazy miami hurricanes fan aaron you you know this 
that like I feel like that I'm probably one of the more base ones, but it's just insane to me that this is a team that right now is two and four and instead not like not like a perennial eight win team. Like Miami should be an eight win team in the ACC and should be going to Charlotte every other year. And that has only happened once. They've only made one conference championship game since joining the ACC. And it's, in, it's infuriating. It's infuriating. Let me tell you who's going to win eight games this year. It's my Kentucky Wildcats. and I'd be stunned this, if they didn't. Oh, they have to. I mean, they, uh, they'll they be favored in every game they play the rest of the year. Uh, so I'm sure they'll blow one or two that they ought to win. Uh, but yeah, they should, they should easily win uh, nine. 10 games this year, so that'd be nice. Here's my question to you, though, Mike. Is there okay. any talk among Miami fans about about my man, Mark Stoops, you know, a former Miami coordinator? You know, he was talked about for a while, like, as a coordinator being brought in before he went to Kentucky, like being brought in and then, you know, because he was, Stoops, his time there was, tail end of coker into i think like the first year of rainy shannon i want to say like he did like he had a stint there but uh i don't know if if i'm mark stoops i stay at kentucky over miami i stay at kentucky because i mean he's on a career run and did you know how great his contract is he has like one of the best contracts in football where for those (laughs) who don't know he has an automatic guaranteed uh extension each year he gets above eight wins or is it even like seven wins like it's not a crazy amount seven wins so so i mean i'd ride that until like this i mean like right now his contract (laughs) probably is gonna be extended to what 2027 at this point so yeah it's all it's already through i wouldn't leave it's already through something insane uh because he's won seven or more games most years Uh, or that's probably not true because he had a very bad run the first four years because he came into a a miserable team but he's been great it's just it just so happens this year and i i was wrong he was a he was defensive backs coach at miami he wasn't a a coordinator yet uh but miami and florida state are two places he's coached and they're probably well they might both have openings so there's a lot of yeah uh, a lot of discussion among kentucky fans about whether or lsu whether he would take one of those jobs so I mean, it's going to be wild. It's going to be a wild one because, yeah, I don't think that uh, I'm blinking on his name of the asshole at Florida State. And he is an asshole. I'm not being that. That's not me being a Miami fan. This guy is a legitimate <laughs> asshole. Uh, it, it's going to be an insane season. And of course, probably tying this into AEW, probably be a head football coach from the NFL looking to go back into the college ranks by the end of this season as well. So. It's going to be insane. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes, that's true. All right. Well, that's the football portion of the show. Uh, you know, you, you leave Mike and I alone. <laughs> you, you never know uh, what's yeah. going to happen. That this yeah. might have been the most normal opening that we could have out of the two of us, to be quite honest. That's true. Uh, we do always, you know, just go with the old on assignment thing. But I want to take uh, I want to take some of the heat here because uh, basically I made plans to uh, travel out of town today. I'm going to Nashville later today uh, to see Jason Isbell. And uh, so it just ended up to where when we wanted to record, it just didn't make sense for Nate's schedule. So, uh, you know, and I felt bad that I missed last week. So I wanted to be able to to do it. So uh, that's why we don't have Nate today. Uh, everything's good. It's just it was bad timing for Nate. So that's all. Uh, real quickly, make sure you're following us on Twitter at everything AEW. Uh, I'm at Aaron Like the Car. Nate is at Epitasis. Mike is at Fuji Heya. Subscribe to the podcast. 
whatever podcast app you use. Just make sure you type in Everything Elite, hit subscribe, uh, so you're always getting our shows as soon as they come out. If you use the Apple Podcast app, give us a five-star rating and review. Subscribing and rating and reviewing, as I understand it, is very helpful to us as far as it helps people find the podcast. Uh, if, you know, AEW is growing rapidly. If people are looking for an AEW podcast, we'd like them to find ours first. And if you want to support the show, uh, the very best way to do so is to go to patreon.com slash everything elite. Check out what we offer and subscribe. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. Now, we, if you are not a patron, if you just listen to the weekly show, you know that we don't normally talk about Rampage on this show. Uh, we have a Patreon show dedicated to talking about Rampage each week. But this week, because of the weird timing of everything and the Saturday Dynamite, we really weren't able to do the Rampage show on the Patreon, so we're going to mix that into this show. So after we get done talking about Dynamite, we'll talk about the buy-in. We'll talk about uh, Danielson versus Suzuki, I'm confident. We'll talk about Rampage, and uh, that'll be kind of a... It probably won't be as similar to the shows we do on the Patreon, but, you know, a little taste of something that we usually only do there. But uh, stick around for that after we're done talking about Dynamite. And we will get into that. But as usual, we will start the show with Elite or Delete. Mike, uh, you get to go first. How, how is that exciting? How do you feel about that? You know, this is very weird. Now I have to be like, all right, uh, I'm on the ball now. I have to consider this thing. So I think, and I'm leaving you the one that I know you want here because I feel like you're going to go off on that and you should. My favorite thing from last night was the Super Click versus the Dark Order match. I thought that it was something really just exciting. It's something that y you get to see someone like Adam Cole at this point who just, it, it, it's remarkable the past month because he's been in this promotion now for approximately a month and he's arguably the most over person not named Sam Punk. And some weeks I would argue he's more over than Sam Punk. And just him in these matches and then the Bucks like working just like they, these are guys who might end up being the best uh, uh, non-singles wrestlers of all time. Like, I don't think that that's an unfair assessment to make. They've been great in these trios, the Atomicos matches they've had. And it's, and it's with combinations of people, too. It's not just the fact that it's just Super Click or just Elite. Like, they, like when they were doing stuff with Hangman Page, when they were still on the same page there, no pun intended, it, they rule at it. And then on the other side, you have the Meat Man, who is, like, the world's, like, like he is a rocket ship. And, and go with me on this. He is like rocket fuel in a rocket ship. You're seeing the engine go off there. He is one of the more dynamic wrestlers in the world because his size, he's someone that like usually when you see someone of his height, you're not going to think he's going to be this power wrestler, but he is. He gets fired up. He goes and just does crazy things. He's just ball of charisma. And you have them all in there with like evil Uno, who I thought was an absolute blast in this match as well. And all in all, it just was just a great trios match it was a great bridge match that they had on the show and you know afterwards you're further building up the uh, babyface army versus the super elite and i thought that in a show that like felt very very chaotic at times i thought that this really kind of stood out as like all right we have the house match we're moving storyline around 
And it's going to be interesting to see where all this goes because I feel like that now we're starting to really see the interconnectedness of the promotion at play here. Whereas sometimes you have people who are distinctly in their lanes, but not here. And it just was a incredibly pleasant about 20 minutes of television. I couldn't agree more. We've talked about this many times on the show, but a nice little trios match on Dynamite is a treat. And it's something that works basically every time they do it. You know, if you put the right people in it, it's a lot of fun. Of course, the Bucks and Cole and everybody in that elite universe has always had these really great trios matches, you know, or fun trios matches where they just understand how to work that, uh, as as we often refer to it, somebody referred to it in the Discord, this like PWG style uh, trios match that's just fun. And then they add that thing on top of it that you're talking about that there's also part of a story going on here that really ratchets up everything that's going on. So that's exciting. Uh, I had to admit this week to myself and to others that I am fully chugs pilled uh, when it's all about the boom hit. I literally smiled, like involuntarily smiled and had to stop (laughs) looking at Twitter to watch the TV because you just have to watch his entrance. You have to watch Adam Cole when he's on your screen. Yeah, it, it, it's something where like when he gets like on the apron and he's doing his finger point and we're getting close to crescendo, I find myself like losing control of my hand and I'm starting to do the thumb point. <laughs> and then when he does boom, I do boom back. It's just he's figuring it out. Well, like this is a guy who figured out how to be just incredibly entertaining in an entrance and in a way that's like distinctly himself. He doesn't need pyro because he can make the crowd react to himself and it's something that like i watched the uh aew games far cry 6 uh stream with him and evil uno and then like i was like watching and it's something i had in the background as i was working and i like would go look at the monitor i had it on i was like you know what i've realized there's something very genuine and pleasant about this guy that like it's very endearing it's something that's like all right this person seems at least as much as you could say in wrestling like a decent person and he's someone that you know is just very very over and it's something that i it's just all coming together in a way that it's reminiscent in a way of how the early days of the promotion in 2019 how cody became this uh basically this fan analog there that the crowd invested in that that like you're like oh we did not see this before, and we're seeing it again on a mar- much bigger scale right now of Adam Cole, and it's incredibly exciting to see. I I think people who listen know that I've really always disliked Adam Cole, and I have a, a tweet that I did that, you know, obviously sometimes you do a post, you're being a little uh, hyperbolic, but I said, you know, congrats to Adam Cole for being very successful without being good at anything, and... You know, looking back, that's probably unfair because obviously he's always been very charismatic and that is a skill when it comes to being a pro wrestler. I just never thought he was a particularly good promo or wrestler, like in-ring wrestler. Uh, But he's just magnetic and that's something that uh, you can't teach, you can't replicate. He just has that thing. There's a lot of other things I would love to improve about his game, but you know, he doesn't have to, <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's working perfectly for him just how he is. And if he gets better, yeah. great at the other things. And if not, I- I'm not sure it matters. 
yeah, I mean, the most important thing in pro wrestling is, is this person fucking over? And Adam Cole has found a way to be fucking over. So, I mean, and, and it's something that you like, you look in the crowd and each week, like you will see the CM Punk shirts first and foremost. And I think that's just something that is just this era of AEW. You're just going to see a lot of that. But at the same time, you see more of the all elite baby t-shirts each week out in the crowd. And I'm just like, this guy, well, like we know how they like to slow play things, but I'm like looking at this. I'm like, yeah, he's doing other things and we'll get into the eliminator tournament earlier. I'm almost like half tempted to be like, this guy needs to win the tournament. We need to be doing the next big long-term feud should be Adam Cole versus Hangman Page for the AEW world title because it does feel like that the iron is hot right now. And it's something where it's like, I think it's only going to go up and up, to be quite honest. Yeah, you think back to the beginning of the company and I believe it was a consensus thought that Omega is the guy in this company and, you know, we talked at length on this show about why it made sense for Jericho to be the first champion. I stand by that. But I, I'm pretty sure if you go back and listen, that we all thought Omega needed to be the the AEW guy that they would get behind and he could be the the top champion for a long time, like Mr. AEW. And I think that's kind of passed by in a lot of ways. And we'll see how Omega reinvents himself and you know he's not done by any stretch of the imagination but i'm not sure he's going to reach that place that a lot of us thought he might at the beginning of the promotion and i talked a lot of, at the time that they they missed opportunities with kenny early on to make him go to that next level and i said i wasn't sure that that could be recaptured and i, I don't think it can be it hasn't been so all that said it's like who's even then, we were talking about, well, who's the next guy? And we talked about the people they've now identified as the four pillars of, of AEW. MJF, Darby, Jungle Boy. Who's the fourth one? MJF, Darby, Jungle Boy. Sammy Guevara. Sammy. Uh, and, you know, and you think about Ricky, I think, is probably in that, uh, that conversation also. Uh, but it's pretty clear that Adam Cole is the next main guy in AEW and should be the top AEW wrestler for the foreseeable future yeah it, it's something where it ended up like with omega that i mean he's closing in on a year as champion he probably won't hit that because of full where full gear lands but i mean he virtually had a year as champion and it's something that instead of going mr aew it's something that's more in the vein of a territorial champion the way that he's kind of been going like an NWA champion, like back in the days of like Jack Briscoe and Dory Funk, you know, so it's something that seems very reminiscent of that. But with like Adam Cole, and I, I would say also with like Hangman Page, like, like not to discount Hangman Page, like the iron is incredibly hot with Hangman Page, and you kind of have to see how far it goes with this guy. Uh, it, but it's something that like you look at how wrestling has evolved and as we like look into 2022 and just like the other aspects that are tangentially evolved in wrestling like he's a online presence he's someone that it, you feel comfortable like and i'm not saying that the others can't he's someone that if you wanted to have someone on the tonight show or desus and marrow just for example just like a late night talk show host i feel like he's the guy that you'd be like oh yeah no i'd send out mccall out there like he's someone that comes across charming like that and it's something that you know is 
something that would line up in a way that I don't know necessarily. Cause like, yeah, no, you can send CM Punk on like on a talk show, but it's something that that's not necessarily like the best use of CM Punk. But with Adam Cole, I'm like, Oh yeah, that that could happen. That could happen. Like the intangibles. And I think it's, it's a very unique set of intangibles that Adam Cole best represents wrestling in 2021 and 2022 in that way. And as a complete aside, isn't it wild? There was really never any like Conan, like Conan O'Brien uh, crossover stuff of AEW before his show ended. Cause it, cause now, cause when I was bringing up the uh, talk show, it's like, Oh, they never did anything with Conan O'Brien. And I find that kind of surprising now that I'm thinking about it. They haven't had any, any talk show, as far as I know, any talk show presence. So I'm not sure if that's, I'm not sure that they've crossed over quite enough yet for that to be something. Right. I mean, what, John Cena is probably the only wrestler who, I mean, I'm sure Rock and, and Batista maybe, but the as movie stars. The, the, yeah. They would send The Miz out to stuff like that. Yeah, and I'm not sure when's the last time like anyone other than those people has been on a talk show. And I don't know. I mean, did fucking did Steve Austin do talk shows when they were hot? Probably, but I, I don't remember. So, yeah, that's interesting. And, I, and I'm not discounting that Adam Page could also be that guy at all. It's just that Adam Cole has, I mean, I, I know that I was down on Adam Cole. I was the low guy and, and I was wrong. There's no doubt about it. So, you know, maybe it like seems like more of a rise in my head because I just saw him as, as nothing, essentially just like a guy. And uh, it turns out that he could like carry the company. I think that's pretty clear. So uh, I think Cole, and he's great as a heel. So I think Cole as a heel versus Paige as a babyface is like an excellent long-term direction to have. Like a story that can span a very long time in this company. And, you know, you have MJF there too, who's also like a good foil, I think, for Paige. Because Paige has that, you know country boy, homegrown type feel, uh, which, you know, bounces off of what MJF does perfectly. So I don't know, there's a lot of exciting long-term things that can happen for AEW without having to like dream too far about how guys can develop. So just an exciting right. time. For yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, my elite pick, speaking of Adam Page, is... Uh, is the Adam Page, uh, what, what I think will be known as the cowboy shit promo, and I think it will be known as that forever. You know, whenever we talk about great pro wrestling promos, when people talk about hard times, when they talk about Austin 316, when they talk about, you know, all the great promos of all time. I'm pretty sure this should be on the list. And when you watch it back 10 years from now, 20 years from now, Adam Page isn't going to pop off the screen with the same charisma as Dusty Rhodes or Stone Cold Steve Austin, you know, that that era of Steve Austin or The Rock or Ric Flair or any of these guys. And And maybe if I'm wrong about this take, the reason will be that perhaps it is as great as it is in the environment that it existed. Because this guy 
shows you that the most important thing about a promo is that it sounds like you believe what you're saying, that it sounds real when he talks. You know, it's it's reminiscent of tons of promos from the territory era where a guy who maybe is not the best talker in the world, and Adam Page isn't, just has that thing that comes together that fits perfectly with who they are, and it resonates. What a great payoff of the whole anxious millennial cowboy thing that they've been doing with Adam Page, where he finally understands and gets across to the fans that he finally understands that he's worthy of being the champion, that he's worthy of having friends, worthy of being loved. I know it like that sounds like too much for pro wrestling, but that's what this is. And it benefited from AEW's ability to let time pass on some things. Adam Page didn't come out the very next week after saying one of these things where, uh, you know, I, I don't can't really believe in myself. Uh, you know, I can't really trust people. But we got to breathe in this story. And then he comes out and he cuts this promo. And that made it perfect in so many ways. And hearing him lay it out the way he like tied it all together perfectly. Uh, you know, you hear sometimes Cody will do a promo, for example. And Cody has done some great promos in this company. But you can hear the Obama thing Cody does where it's like he had an idea that he wanted to weave through his entire promo and he kind of pushes some things into it to make stuff fit the story that he wanted to tell in his promo. But Adam Page had this cowboy shit idea to weave through his promo and he did it perfectly. It made sense at every turn. It made you feel things, you know. A promo has, I mean, the major purpose of a promo is to sell you something, right? That's why it's called a promo. You are trying to sell a ticket, get somebody to watch a show, buy a pay-per-view, whatever. But in the modern era, it also has to, and, and this is also true, of course, of earlier eras where you're trying to sell something, but it has to get that real personal investment in the character. And, and that's how... Tickets are sold nowadays more than, oh, I really want to see this guy get beat up. It's like, oh, I really want to see this guy succeed. I've talked about this a million times on the show. But if you were wavering at all in your investment, your belief in the Hangman Adam Page character, you can waver no more after hearing this promo. Just hit every note. Perfect. Loved it. It's something that you brought up like the personal investment and the thing that like my big takeaway from this promo and one of the reasons why I think it was so effective in comparison to the Cody political poem promo for lack of a better words, this, if you trans, if you took out uh cowboy shit and added in God, basically, this is a sermon. He basically gave a sermon and it's something that I felt like is I mean, religion, like, is one of those things that's intensely personal, and it's one of those things that, you know, you're not supposed to talk about in polite company, but it was very much like he was standing in front of his congregation, and he was saying, like, because you believed in me, I believe in you, uh, I now believe in me, 
and we're going to do this. And it's something that, you know, you could very easily like make this and like change a couple words in and out of. And it's very much like people's like personal belief into whatever their deity is. And it's something that as a as Aaron, we're both Southerners, like natively Southerners. This is something that like he gave a sermon that would not be out of uh, out of place in any sort of house of worship in the South. And it's something that is innately, I would say, like intertwined in a cultural fabric in a way that you can't have Kenny Omega give that promo. You can't have uh, Chris Jericho give that promo. You can't have CM Punk give that kind of promo. This is something that I think is a promo. And I think that the way that it works, the way that it connects is very regionalized in a way, but it's also regionalized in a way that territories were just inherently regionalized, right? Because I mean... Hard times was happening. That promo was happening. I, I forgot if they taped in Charlotte or Atlanta that time, but deep in the South. And it's something that was very much like Dusty Rhodes was giving a sermon in that promo of like, if you're believing me, if you reach out and touch the screen, I'm touching you back. Like that's very much like a charismatic preacher. And in a lot of ways, like this is all, I, I don't want to say like a book of Job like promo or like Jonah and the whale, but it was something that like, as soon as like, I like, started thinking about like this was a sermon this was a sermon it just took it to another level because you could see like it's something that i feel like that he played with and played off of it that made it made it completely his own and it's something that kind of cements everything and it's and, and i know you were trying i i don't want to blow up your father trying to figure out like best promos in company's history this is something that like has to be consideration because it's so uniquely personal in a different way that like the cody jericho uh, boomer versus millennial promo is more like talking about generational things eddie eddie kingston's uh addressing his enemies going first up uh the man upstairs i'm still alive like that's a different kind of personal things this was a different experience that happened and it's something that it tells you that like in miami where you would think that this promo would not necessarily land as strongly as it did, but this crowd was incredibly receptive to Hangman. Like this is a promo that like you would almost think that that show after full gears when he would be doing this promo and in Virginia versus Miami, Florida, but it, it owned, it, it was fantastic. Of course I mentioned hard times, but when you mentioned that line, it made me think about how much this really was, an update on the hard times promo to modern times because you know dusty works in the economy and and you know how things are uh, the industrial revolution has been a disaster <laughs> for uh, and its consequences have been a disaster for humankind uh because you know a computer took your job etc cetera, etc cetera. but adam page updates it to modern you know i don't necessarily buy into like oh, millennials are more uh self-centered or whatever you know but touchy feely yeah but it's certainly this is more about it connects more with an audience that is more introspective you know introspection was not always manly i mean it's not considered you know traditionally masculine now and it certainly wouldn't have been in 1985 when dusty cut the hard times promo but what Adam Page is ultimately saying in this promo is what Dusty Rhodes said, which, as you pointed out, my hand is touching your hand. 
the love that was, and I'm paraphrasing Dusty, but the love that was given to me, I will repay now. And I will become the world heavyweight champion. And that's what Paige is saying, is that I was, I lied. I said I would be the champion at the first show, and I failed. And then I kept failing over and over again. I failed at friendship. I failed at wrestling. I failed myself. And therefore, I failed the fans. But you didn't give up on me. You gave me love that drove me forward. And I'm going to repay that. Not, and maybe that isn't by winning the, the world title. But it is by believing in myself and being able to give all of myself back to you and to AEW in this big match that's coming up. I'm getting more fired up the more I think about this promo. <laughs> Because that's what he's saying, and it, it's yeah, it's so relatable, and it makes you feel good. It's like, wait a second, okay, I know Adam Page is is working. I know this is wrestling, but folks, doesn't it make you feel good to think you cheered for this guy, and it made him learn to believe in himself again? Like, if there's any truth to that at all. Doesn't it make you feel like all this shit that we do is worth something? And, and and that's what is great about wrestling. It's what's great about uh, life. When, when life has great things about it, which I admit uh, are rare, it's this. It's knowing that what you're doing has some value. And I don't know. I'm probably blowing it up, but and I'm probably being a mark. <laughs> But it's like, hey, man, I don't know. Maybe we helped this guy and maybe that helped other people. And it just feels fucking good. This is just the best part of wrestling, I think, is when it's oh, like, absolutely. oh, we have this communal feeling of of goodness, of value, of worth, of enjoyment and uh, it, it fucking rocks. So I love this promo. I will hold it dear forever. I am working. I think I'm maybe going to do a, a podcast or maybe even a written thing. I haven't, I'm trying to think about it, about the best promos in AEW history. I got some people mm -hmm. who uh, suggested some on Twitter and in the discord. If you have thoughts about what are the best AEW promos in history, I'd like to go through a lot of those that people think are great and uh, talk about them and, and why they're great. Or if I don't think they're great, talk about that. And mm -hmm. I want to work this promo in there and look at it. Um, but, you know, all this will depend, of course, how this promo is viewed. Well, I'm not sure this is true, but I'm going to say it anyway. A lot depends on how this match turns out, right? It does. Yeah. Well, maybe it's the longer term. He doesn't have to win this match, uh, you know, but if he ultimately beats Omega and, and that's a big moment. But then I think back, um, you know, do you remember if Dusty won the, the match uh, after the Hard Times promo? Uh, people look back on Austin 316. Of course, you know, that didn't turn into anything for, for several months mm -hmm. afterward. Uh, you know, so promos, when we talk about promos now, a lot of them are divorced from the actual context of the wrestling. Uh, but just because this guy isn't the best talker in the world, I hope this doesn't get lost because I think it should be in the pantheon. Yeah, and it's something that like this promo, uniquely enough, three minutes we probably could spend the entire hour 15 hour 30 talking about this one promo because it's <laughs> yeah, sorry it, it's very oh, oh no i think it's i think it's uniquely fascinating because like 
it, it when you brought up like millennials and you brought up like the idea about uh, about like the difference like generationally and talking about like the industrialization as being a big part of co uh, of not Cody sorry Dusty's promo whereas this one very much like tapped into his demographics just general ennui and in a way that like I know it's about sermon but like to take it in a non-religious context and bringing up what you said about like investment investment and like paying it back it, it the overall theory of the third place that used to be church that used to be church but it could be like a bar could be a union hall like this for the community that watches AEW in a lot of ways the TV show going to events hanging out with friends going in discords and like this is the third place and in a lot of ways he is the analog for that so do I think he should win the match at full gear absolutely think he should this is the right person to take the belt off of Kenny Omega, who's just not, who pretty much has run through nearly every single opponent at this point, And there's not many fresh matchups here, but is it going to affect him? I think if he loses the match, like I don't remember if Dusty won that match. I think that was like a Ric Flair match. Maybe it was like Starcade 83. I'm thinking right now off the top of my head, but it doesn't matter because it resonates and it's timeless. And I think it's something that like, as you're saying, I think this match will probably find, or this promo will find its place in time and space and will just kind of be one of those enduring things of like AEW ends tomorrow. And this still is something that I think would be in the pantheon of wrestling history. Mike, I don't want to blow you up too much, but I honestly think that third place point you just made is one of the best points that's ever been made on this podcast. <laughs> uh, I, I really mean that. That was great. Thank you. And it, you're so right. And because, you know, the balkanization of culture, like church is not as ubiquitous, you know, for people. Union halls certainly aren't. And there's a lot of reasons about that. Uh, but but online is and TV right. is. And we've kind of gone into these little communities. Um, and yeah, the, the promo fucking captures that perfectly. That's uh, what a great point. That's that is grad. Not thought of it that way. Uh, that was excellent. Uh, okay, I, I was. I thought we were going to have to throw in some more elites or more listener elites, but you know we found plenty to talk to about there. So I'll just hit one listener elite as we usually do. Uh, our if you want to have yours considered for the show, uh, you just got to join our Discord, and that is part of our Patreon. If you're a five dollar, eight dollar subscriber, uh, you get access to the Discord. And we have a channel where we do elites and deletes during shows. So uh, listener J-Pop says his elite pick is Arn Anderson taking accountability for his past misdeeds to Dusty. Uh, you know, I think this works in with what we've been talking about already. But yeah, if, if you are someone who watched Crockett uh, or, you know, even just early uh, WCW and uh, enjoyed the the Four Horsemen dusty uh, feuds over the years this was uh just a fun little comment from arn thrown into this uh very strange cody segment that i'm sure we'll talk about later yeah i mean arn is the best part of cody's act now who thought that we would be saying this after months of the waffle house menu like arn is like just killing it like my only objection for it is it should not have been off an iphone Arn Anderson should be someone who has the same Razor phone that he's had ever since 1997 when his wife insisted he got a cell phone. 
and he should have pulled up like this crunkled up photograph from his wallet and like i feel like that would have like resonated a little bit more but it owned it's something that you know goes into investment continuity yet again i listened to last week's show i'm pretty sure it was on that show and he was he was on fire so i'm not uh i'm not criticizing this part of the show but uh nate was talking about arn's you know, kind of just being there for a lot of his time in AEW and uh, suggested that he hadn't done anything good in AEW until the great promo that he cut a couple weeks ago. I only want to say, and that part of it is my own investment in Arn, but the spine buster on Sean Spears at, <laughs> what was that, All Out? Um, I was standing right next to you, dude. Yeah, was that All Out? Yeah, that rocked. That I was for Now, I was very invested in the Cody character at that time, and, and mm-hmm. Arn is... Uh, not if I was making a, now he would be much higher on my greatest wrestler ever ballot than most people. Uh, but if I was just making like favorite, a list of my favorite wrestlers, Arn would probably be top five. I mean, I love Arn Anderson. Uh, and so it's been hard for me to see him suck. Uh, but I do think that was a great moment that I really enjoyed, but yeah, Arn, Arn was great in this segment for sure. All right. And you know, certainly whatever months ago, I wouldn't have bet on that happening, but if you like to bet, my friends, uh, you can do so over at my bookie. They got five over five hundred thousand dollars in contest prize money up for grabs. Uh, NFL is back. NBA is about to start up. Uh, so winning season is here at my bookie. You just go to mybookie.ag. You choose from a variety of boosts and free bets. Get in on the fan favorite one hundred thousand dollar super contest. Uh, It only costs 10 bucks to enter. You pick five games against the spread each week. Uh, Basically what happens is, so you're not betting each game like you normally would, you know, you put down 10 bucks on a game or whatever. You're picking five games for your 10 bucks each week. And each one that you win against the spread, you get a point. And, uh, you know, whoever gets the most points at the end of this is going to be in for the grand prize. Uh, But there's other prizes too. And it is, yeah, there's over $500,000 available uh, if you want to get in on that or anything related to mybookie.ag, uh, when you make your first deposit over there and use the promo code ELITE, uh, you will instantly receive double your deposit. That's double your money to double your winnings with your first ever deposit using the promo code ELITE. So uh, bet anything, anytime, anywhere with mybookie. Uh, but remember, folks, to bet responsibly. Take care of yourself out there. Okay. Uh, let's talk about our delete picks for the week. Uh, frankly, a, a pretty good show, a really good show. So not a ton of stuff I didn't like, but I have one little thing that I was that I'm irritated about right now that I'll get to. But Mike, what was your delete for this week? I guess, and it's something that I ended up. <sighs> okay, I'm calling an audible here for me for myself personally. Backstage fights with the women's division. They did two of them within an hour of each other. First, it was Serena Deeb and Hikaru Shida. Then it was Britt Baker and Anna Jay. It, it's something where, like, all right, there were at least three women's segments on the show. And, you know, it's sad that I have to say that's a positive step forward for them. And the fact that there seems to be now at least three or four feuds going on, a lot of them based around the TBS title tournament that's going to be happening. But it's it's something where you have announced this tournament here and 
we don't know really anything about it other than they mention it's in the periphery. They've mentioned it's in the periphery on, on all the programming. And it's not real. It, they have matches like Penelope Ford versus Kira Hogan. It's like, well, this is a match that's going to figure into the TBS title tournament. How? How is Penelope Ford figuring into this tournament? How's Kira Hogan, who other than, or I'm just going to say on TV, has never won a match in AEW. How should she figure into this tournament while you're having these backstage fights? And it's just, it, it feels very incongruous in a way to me. And it's something that's like, I am glad that they the, that things aren't just revolving around Britt Baker, at least this week, and that we have this other tournament as our title here. But when you have like two backstage fights, one of them is with your World Women's Champion, it makes the Hikaru Shida and Serena Deeb one look weaker. When you have matches like Penelope Ford versus Kira Hogan, you say, oh, it's in a direction of the TBS title tournament. And I've seen the run sheet. We're going to get into one of these listener deletes. If you do not choose this listener delete, Aaron, we're going to, I will just go off on it when we get into it like there, where like we're preparing for these, for this title tournament here. And it means the same thing on Rampage, same thing on Rampage, where it just feels like that they're doing these matches and supposed to have some condo, supposed to have the condo and you're doing all these things here. And it just feels really disjointed. And I, and I think like my one negative of the show is that it felt like the women's division was very disjointed this week and it feels like they're doing stuff for the sake of doing a lot of stuff but there's not a necessarily a whole lot of meaning there or you had something and you're you're muddling it down by doing the same segment twice yes you're exactly right and my delete was going to be somewhat similar so i'm just going to piggyback off of you and we'll just make this the, the delete segment uh for the show because as i said there wasn't a lot of bad on the show period uh so first not only are you right about these two backstage fights between the women, but it was similar all night with the entire roster of weird attacks, back, you know, just constant attacks backstage. CM Punk was basically forced to comment on commentary, which is what you do on commentary, that, you know, joke about how, oh, it's the most unsafe place is backstage. It's like, fuck, like, are we going to do this on every segment? So that was a little... Uh, frustrating because there were there was less i think interference on this show i'm trying to think back uh there were post-match attacks like there always are but some of that it's like okay yeah we've pulled back from some of the stuff you guys complain about a lot but here here's 30 backstage attacks <laughs> on this show instead it's like we got to find some different ways to tell these stories and keep them hot and Maybe it wouldn't stand out as much. I think you're right, Mike. Maybe that wouldn't stand out as much if they didn't also be like, oh, wait, we've got to pretend like the women's division is important around here and there's a lot going on in it so we can sell this tournament, which, you know, I'm thankful for because we've had women's tournaments before that they ignored on TV. And by that, I mean both of the women's tournaments they've done before were completely ignored, uh, essentially, on Dynamite. So I'm glad it's getting some focus, but... I'm very skeptical. You know, I'm glad you mentioned there's three or four. It feels like three or four stories are going on in the women's division. And I'm happy about that. But I'm keeping it all at arm's length because I feel like the blow off for all of these stories is just going to be a match in the TBS tournament. And that's going to be the end of it. It's not going to go forward. And even if that doesn't happen, it's like, well, they're only giving us one match per show in the women's division. So how are all these things going to play out? They don't use 
dark in elevation as like parts of stories, really. I mean, sometimes, you know, they had this little Diamante Santana Garrett story, but, you know, you, you used to, and it wasn't constant, but sometimes a little story would spill over to WCW Saturday night. You know, I, this isn't necessarily the same type of thing, but like the uh, Chris Benoit Booker T best of seven series. It's like, oh, we're going to put one of them on Saturday night. Like That's fun. So, and yeah, people would complain, and I might be one of them, if the women's feuds were only on dark and elevation. But it'd just be nice to have something to sink your teeth into, which you don't really get. Uh, and and this ties into that match. This is what I really wanted to talk about, was the Penelope ford Kiera Hogan match. I mean, it was bad. I think everybody agrees with that. Uh, somebody made the point in the Discord, uh, it might have been Drew, I'm not sure, that the AW women have seemed to have figured out that when the match isn't going well, just hit each other hard and that'll kind of get it going again. And uh, <laughs> that's, that's true of every match. So, you know, that's good. I like that. Uh, but I talked about this, I don't know, a month or so ago, uh, that they have this problem of not putting the right women together in matches where you have someone who can actually help keep the match together if something goes wrong. I was just complaining on, I think, Light, one of our Patreon shows, what happened to Kira Hogan? You know, they they signed her. I think she got a graphic and then she disappeared. And boom, suddenly here she is. No build to this match. No reason why these two people are fighting. And no reason for you to be invested in Kira Hogan as the winner. And it wasn't good. They, they, they weren't able to put together a good match because these women aren't getting a chance to work with each other. And they're not giving a chance to be led by somebody. You know, look, Kira Hogan and Penelope Ford, you could have done tags and trios for weeks on Dark and Elevation to give them some some uh, chemistry. You could be doing that with all these women. Instead, it's these, you know, two-minute matches between, uh, you know, Kylan King and not even Kier Hogan, but, you know, imagine it's Kier Hogan, that doesn't really do anything for anybody as far as their development. So that's the part that I don't really understand. You know, I I, I posted, AW should try putting two women together who are good in a match, <laughs> which is true. <laughs> they often don't do it. But they also could just let these people get more chemistry with each other by working tags, trios, and singles matches on dark and elevation. Uh, that's what it's going to take to build the women's division in a way where you can just throw two people together and let them have a match and it'll be good. They got to get reps and there is no plan that I can tell in AEW for that to happen, for people to get reps working against each other. So you can make a new title. You can have five women's matches every week, but it's never going to get better until you invest the time in letting these people get reps that matter together. Yeah. And it's just matches without meaning. And I think that that's the other side of it. Like, yeah, they need to get the reps and they need to get X, Y, and Z happening. It's just something when you look at now they're up to seven hours, I would say seven hours of matches a week. And there's just, so many stuff that like if it's not have if it's not one of the nine matches that happens either on Rampage or on Dynamite, you might as well just count them as not happening because they're matches without meaning. So what do you do with those matches without meaning? Do the trios that you're talking about. You pair up someone with 
your Serena Deebs, if your Ryu Mizunami, who's back in America, you pair them up with this. Like that was like one of the cool things about when Ryu Mizunami won the Eliminator tournament and stuck around afterwards, but she was teaming with Layla Hirsch, and it's like, all right, that's a great way of one you're you're giving everyone something to do you have like a mentorship thing going on there and of course like Layla is able to learn from that and you're able to have people have matches with this tag team and it's just that there's some there's a lot of stuff that just feels with and it's not just with the women's division it's something getting into like the eliminator tournament where like wins and losses matter in this company and it's something that I've talked about a lot recently, but I'm going to talk about it again. Yes, wins and losses matter, but it feels like that they're basically counting stats. It, it's something that, you know, it, it is your RBI of this promotion here. So what does Penelope Ford get out of winning this match? Not just uh, one, another point up in her win column. And we don't really have a meaning as like, what is this match really worth? Is a match worth having uh, to boost up uh, Penelope Ford's win-loss record and to fill up time on TV and have your women's match on TV for the week? And that's, and it's something that like what happens on Dark and Elevation. Oh, there are matches that people get ring time and that's important, but it's really just to like bolster the win-loss record. So it just makes things mean less. And having those trios matches, having those relationships, it would make things mean more. And it's something that that's why, at least I completely understand why you're arm's length away from the majority of the women's division. And it's something where maybe I just, my expectations, and I'm someone that like I go in things with like a relatively open mind. I just have no expectations of anything really amounting to anything with that. Oh, absolutely. But if, if Tony Khan came to me and he said, Aaron, I've been listening to Dynamite. I'm sorry. I've been listening to Everything Elite every week. And you seem to have a lot of criticisms of the women's division. Uh, if I could give you one job to handle so that you could address your criticisms with that, what would it be? And you could easily say, oh, let me book the women on Dynamite. I'll fix this immediately. But it's like... All right, I, I I am on the board of this nonprofit, right? And uh, I think I've probably talked about it before, but I'll be cryptic about it regardless, uh, just in case I haven't talked about it. But our goal is to uh, get a piece of legislation passed in the end, okay? So we hired some organizers, and it's the first time we've had uh, full-time organizers on staff in a long time. And... You know, I, I said, organizers, I want you to do ABC. And they came back to me and said, Aaron, there haven't been organizers in so long. You know, this has been handled in a different way. So there's a lot of buildup work we need to do first, you know, before we can get to what you want to happen. And I was like, great, I'm not an organizer. You, I trust you. So show me your plan. Let's execute it. And uh, they're doing a great job of that exactly. And that's what I would say to Tony Khan. It, it's Tony, we can't. You can't just hand me the pencil for the women's matches on Dynamite, and I can't create you a division that will uh, rival the interest that and the quality of the men's division today. I can't do it. I won't have it done for you a month from now or six months from now. But give me the women on Dark and Elevation. Let me have them. 
Uh, you tell me who the women are. You tell me who you want to win to, to work your, your wins and losses. I don't care. But let me focus on who goes together in matches, who works against each other, who learns from whom. And that is the best thing that Tony Khan could invest in to improve this women's division. The women are there. Yes, I think they should sign a bunch more women. I think they are, there are a lot of quality women out there they could invest in. But they have the people to put on very good matches on Dynamite and have a division worth investing in on a real level and matches that deserve to main event, Dynamite, pay-per-views, everything. They've got the talent. They just have to invest in it on an organizing level of actually building it from the ground up. So that would be, you know, and I'm not uh, pitching myself for a job, but if, if Tony asked me what he should do, that's what he should do. Focus on that. This is just the Aaron Rance uh, edition of <laughs> Everything Elite. So the people who were glad I wasn't on the show last week, not enjoying uh, this episode. Listener Delete. Uh, I am going to pick that one because it goes with what we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, friend of the show, brother of the show, Drew Spears, deletes the logic of who gets in these tournaments. Now, he's talking, of course, about the Eliminator tournament, which we'll talk about more. He says, you have rankings and make sure people who are protected don't eat losses. Uh, Malachi Black, CM Punk, Adam Cole, all undefeated. Darby and MJF and Miro, Pack and Andrade, those people barely ever lose. Then you put together a bracket with four guys who job all the time, and there's no doubt who the final two are. It's fucking stupid. Just have Mox and Brian win a few more and announce a number one contenders match. Uh, now, sometimes they subvert expectations on yeah. uh, the finalists in these tournaments, but I don't think Drew is wrong at all with any of the points he made in that. No. Well, uh, Mama Spears raised smart cookies in her family. Uh, it, it, it's something that, like, I know I'm hammering this, the, this dead horse. Like strength of schedule should be something that they actually incorporate in here because you look at like Dustin Rhodes going up against Brian Danielson in this tournament. Dustin Rhodes hasn't been on TV wrestling since Malachi Black beat him. Like, how does he get justified in here? He gets justified being in here because everyone else can't take losses or everyone else is in a storyline that it, I guess for some reason the storyline supersede getting a title shot in a tournament that's in a company that's supposed to be all about like the title belt and the title belt is supposed to mean everything here. Why wouldn't MJF and Darby both want to be in this tournament? You make that like the first round matchup there. Like there you have a match there that you could have that on TV. It can end in a way that that's not going to be the end of the feud. Like it's the start of the feud there. And it's two people that rightly deserve to be in this tournament. What does Preston Vance done other than like improve greatly in the ring, but like looking at like win loss record and a company that preaches win loss records to justify his appointment, his placement, and theoretically being one of the top eight wrestlers in the company without a title? Nothing, absolutely nothing. So if you wanted to make him like a this was like a sixteen person tournament, and you wanted to say one seed, sixteen seed, sixteen seed, uh, ten. Press advance 10, press advance. Sorry, just because I was saying numbers, want to make sure I was saying the name right. Absolutely. Go do that. Make sure it's clear that it's like, okay, we have ranked this person number one coming into this tournament. And press advance, he's doing well, but he's not one of the top eight people. So he gets a tougher matchup and he has to face the person who's currently ranked one in our rankings. There is a way to make all of this make sense here, but they did not make it make sense here. And it takes out 
almost all measure of doubt in at least the first round matchups, unless like we're going to get someone doing an interference spot and then we get an upset there. But you like look at this and you go like, oh, it's, it's going to be a chalk tournament. And as Drew said, it'll be Moxley versus Brian at full gear, which if that's going to be your obvious direction there, then yeah, just have them build that to a match. But like these are the two guys who are on a winning streak here and we're going to decide who gets the next title shot at full gear. Don't do a tournament where it's just like doing a tournament for tournament's sake. Yeah, my first criticism was, oh, why don't they use the rankings in this? Then I pulled up the fucking rankings, and these guys are ranked. Like, the two, three, four guys are uh, Hangman, Archer, and Orange Cassidy. That's not in exact order, but those are the guys who are two, three, and four. Uh, Okay, well, that doesn't make any goddamn sense. Like, I don't care what their win-loss records are. If you watch AEW, you know those are not the second, third, and fourth best people, not the second, third, and fourth people who are uh, most in line for a title shot because of what they've accomplished in AEW. It doesn't make any fucking sense. None. And even then, Miro is fifth. Well, where's he in this tournament? Even if you accept that the rankings are involved. So that tells me the rankings don't have anything to do with it. Then you look back at the casino ladder match. Well, you could so uh, and a few things stand out to me from that. Uh, Pack and Andrade were both in that, so they were apparently deserving of a shot at the title, but they're not in this. And if you say, well, they had their chance, okay, but Mox and Archer and Orange Cassidy were all in that match and didn't win, and now they're in this. So none of it makes any sense. You could easily. If you if you wanted to have this exact tournament, at least give me a little thing you put up on YouTube where Tony Khan talks about how he picked everybody for the tournament in kayfabe. Bracketology, baby. Bracketology yeah, segment. At, at least at least give me something because Dustin Rhodes doesn't make any sense. Ten doesn't make any sense. It's just frustrating. <laughs> yeah. You know, as you said. I mean, Darby, uh, maybe not MJF, but probably MJF, uh, Darby, Adam Cole, CM Punk, uh, they should all be furious that they're not in this tournament. And it it insults our intelligence that we're not going to see them cut promos talking about how they're furious they aren't in this tournament. So, uh, it yes, tournaments in this company... Um, have generally been bad from this perspective. Now, there will be great matches in this tournament. I'm confident. I'm, I think Dustin Rhodes versus Brian Danielson is a fun match that I'm happy oh, yeah. to watch. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. If Brian and Mox is the finals, that's a fun match that I'm happy to watch. But I just need a little more out of wrestling. Uh, you know, I talked about it in the Adam Page promo. I need that. I need you to give me more than just... Here's some guys and some matches, and and here's what we're getting to in the end. Right. And it's something that, not to belabor the point here, if wins and losses and rankings matter so much here, you need to provide justification or else you're just committing self-errors. And it feels like to me that this tournament, with the justifications they use, and some people say like, oh, you're being nitpicky. 
but how much do they bring up win loss records? How much do they bring up rankings? If they are making this like like pretty much other than when Tony Khan makes a match and it's like Tony Khan has just made this match. If they're making these be one of the focuses of booking, then this tournament is completely disregarding that other than putting two, three, and four on on your rankings in this tournament. There's because you look at the rest of this tournament bracket and you just go like what I I mean Unless you're watching all seven hours of TV, you would not be saying, oh, Preston Vance deserves being this tournament. And, and as someone who watches nearly seven hours of AEW a week, I don't think he'd, if you were to like ask me, okay, who are your top eight people, he would not make the tournament. And it's just frustrating. And to my uh, sports people out there, every time I talk about win-loss records, somebody says, well, uh, in UFC, you don't have to be in the top 10 to get a, to get the next match. Uh, well, show me a tournament that exists in sports where you don't have to do anything to earn your way in. Nothing. You're just dropped into the tournament. Show it to me. All right, let's talk about the rest of the show. Uh, and there's some other good stuff that we haven't even mentioned yet. So uh, we'll get a chance to hear, even though we've gone an hour just on uh, big picture <laughs> stuff. But uh, that was all fun. I mean, I'm having a yeah. great time. So I hope the listeners are. So the show kicked off with Malachi Black versus Dante Martin, and Black won with a spin kick. Yeah, this was really, really uh, exactly what you would want out of this match. I think that the added wrinkle of Dante Martin selling a knee that was consistently worked on in Malachi Black, using that as a focus in one of his matches when really he hasn't been doing limb work in his matches. He's just been murdering people. I feel like that that was... Really, really fascinating, and I like the idea that Malachi Black does different offense for different people. Uh, CM Punk on commentary did not make my elite, but I would like to say maybe you need to have CM Punk out there whenever you have Jim Ross because he was able to talk Jim Ross the entire two hours, and it was something that you know here was a very it, it kind of like stood out to me like from the start. It's like all right, Jim Jim Ross seems good this week, and it's CM Punk who's engaging with them here, and they were really. Uh, working on this but this match was great it was exactly kind of what we were hoping for like i know you said you were wanting like one big hope stretch for dante martin we got like little flurries of it and not just one big stretch here and i felt like it accomplished a whole lot malachi black who should be in this tournament should be in this tournament uh looks like a killer and it's something that like now we we have like a good direction for dante martin uh, with the stuff that happened later on in the show and it was exactly what I would want out of a Malachi Black and Dante Martin match. Yes, it's a match that in some contexts I would hate because I think Dante lasted a lot longer than, you know, in kayfabe he probably should have with Malachi. Now, first of all, I understand sometimes I have to set that aside because that's not what happens in AEW. But second, I'm willing to believe that this is the start of a, a Dante Martin push. Or, you know, not even the start. We're a little bit into the beginning of a Dante Martin push. And if they focus on this guy and, and elevate him, then this is great. Because it did put him on a higher level by being able to hang with Malachi Black in this match. I mean, he hung better than Cody Rhodes has, right? Uh, he, he hung better than anybody has, really. So I think this was important for Dante Martin. It also, because of what you talked about, for the first time, I thought of Dante Martin in this match as a future singles star. You could see it here. The fact, 
I know not everybody cares about this, but at 20 years old, the way he was able to sell the limb work throughout the match at all times, keep that in mind, constantly uh, remember to do it and do it in a way that was that didn't take you out of the match. It was worked perfectly into the context of the match. It was compelling. He was excellent in this match. And I think Malachi Black has shown in AW that he's an excellent pro wrestler. But Dante Martin was not outclassed in this match as a pro wrestler, like just in-ring pro wrestler, not at all. Yeah. Yeah, and it's something that it shows you like another I like talking about the tool belt on other shows. It's a tool that you're putting into Dante Dante's tool belt. He knows how to do like this kind of selling in a way that's not insulting anyone's intelligence and it felt incredibly natural. Like when he would go up for springboards, he would come down and come down hard on his leg and would try to shake out there. He would try to do one leg springboards. Like it it all lined up there and he had Leo Rush on the outside, who he instantly became a meme with Leo face. And it all just was like something that like it checked all the boxes. Like if you had, other than Aaron, you probably would want this to be a five minute match where it would be Malachi Black domination. Then Dante sells the leg during his hope spot. And then he gets a black mass and goes down. I think this accomplished everything it needed to accomplish and more. It got some extra credit too. I agree. And not to be... I don't know. When you think about him as a future star, my thought, and maybe this is just, you know, whatever wrestling brain over the years is like, well, is he big enough to be like a top star? I couldn't find out how tall he is, but you know, looking at picture stuff, he's probably around six feet tall, if I had to guess. Uh, and his body, I mean, at 20 years old, I started thinking about Will Ospreay and the way that Will Ospreay was able to really, as he was around a similar age, uh, a little bit older than that, uh, fill out. And he got like big to where he's like, okay, this guy's believable as like a, a main event top star. Whatever you think about Will Ospreay, he was believable as a main event player in New Japan, at least the last time I was watching. I don't know if that's, I know he's not there right now for, for various reasons. Uh, but it's like, yeah, there's, now he's, Dante has kind of a, a slim frame. So I don't know how big he can get. Uh, but, you know, Will Ospreay did too. And uh, that worked out. So I don't know. This is just the first time I've thought about Dante as a uh, a superstar uh, with superstar potential. Yeah, it's going to be really fascinating. This is the kind of thing that I'm a real sicko about. I love saying like, all right, this person now has this projection, this ceiling. Now we get to see how things play out here. Are, is he going to like put on like the the heavyweight uh, muscle that like the that Will Ospreay did? We will see. Is he going to like be like, all right, now I know how to be like an insanely compelling baby face because I sold my legs so well in this match. I know I can do this and get the crowd invested. We'll see. It's, it's This is the shit I live for, Aaron. Like This was like exactly what I wanted here. Absolutely. Excellent. Excellent way to start. And then we had uh, Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus backstage with uh, Tony Schiavone. Uh, Jungle Boy's talking about how Jurassic Express is all banged up. Omega and Cole interrupted. Uh, the Bucks showed up. Uh, they they brawled. Big attack here. Yeah, uh, Brandon Cutler took the camera. That was the funniest thing. And then he did a thumbs up on camera, which cracked me up. And, you know, Jungle Boy is like, has a similar uh, spot or place compared to where you would want Dante Martin to be. And I think comparing 
how those two evolve is going to be quite interesting. Yeah, what's going to be a Dante Martin's 10-minute draw with Chris Jericho? Like, I'm fascinated by that idea. Absolutely. And, you know, it looks like they're interested, but it's going to require, as it did with Jungle Boy, as it does with everybody, usually, uh, the promotion getting behind him and giving him that 10-minute draw with Chris Jericho. So that's worth paying attention to. But I, again, if you're listening, I'm putting you on notice. Dante Martin can be, and hopefully you know this, can be a superstar. So give him an opportunity. Give him a chance to get there. Uh, Inner Circle is in the ring, and they very smartly, I liked this, they let Santana run with the ball. You know, they're in Miami. Uh, he plays into that perfectly. And Santana is a excellent promo. Another guy that I think Mike has talked about, or not Nate has talked about, like Santana should get a singles run. I'm, I co-sign that take. Uh, Dan Lambert, American Top Team, interrupt. Jericho spends like three minutes going at Paige Van Zant for some reason. Uh, I'm not sure Just what being that's creepy. about. Just very creepy. creepy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and very strange. Uh, Chelsea had mentioned this in her daily. It's like also strange. as like Jericho's the baby face in the story and, and Paige is the heel mm-hmm. in the story. So it, anyway, it didn't make sense at all. I, I'm interested to see if that's supposed to go somewhere or if yeah. Jericho just wanted to do that. Uh, Jericho wants a, a five on five match. Uh, Dan Lambert says, hey, we're only interested in titles. We see that Sammy's the only one in there who has one. So we're going to make Sammy do something to get that five-on-five tag. Dan Lambert's going to tell us next week what that might be. And Scorpio Sky gets on the mic to point out, uh, you know, just a a highlight for everyone that he pinned Jericho on Rampage. And that was the second time he's pinned Chris Jericho in AEW. Yeah, I thought that other than Chris Jericho being weird and doing like Stephanie McMahon like put downs in 2021 on Paige Van Zant, I thought this was incredibly effective. I it, it's something about considering like how Dan Lambert's time really kind of started in this promotion and like some of his promos just obviously very clearly being a Jim Cornette analog for part of it and now is like shifted and the fact that he's doing this in his hometown of Miami and getting that kind of heel heat was really kind of remarkable there. Uh, I think that, uh, and I guess it's something to talk about on from rampage. I think the American top team act is actually like one of the more like compelling and interesting things happening on the show. Junior dos Santos uh, for uh, wrestling observer rookie of the year, by the way, I think that we should really get behind that because junior dos Santos ruled like this. It looked like he was having the time of his life, but I, thought that that was all a whole lot of fun and like you look at this and it's like all right we're eventually going to get that five on five i guess and it's like even with men of the year in there we know now that junior dos santos you can get him in a match and you get him to do things and it comes off incredibly well like adding in like other mma stars is just going to be like real crazy and really weird and uh, Aaron, you know, like my least favorite thing about wrestling is when things are boring. This will not be boring. Uh, it, at the very least, the, if this is going to be a disaster, it's going to be a disaster that's going to have a huge fireball that comes attached to it. And I can't wait to see where it goes next. This has a lot going for it because it's super over. It's one of the hottest angles, if not the hottest angle in the company. The crowd is is nuts for it. 
Uh, and that's a big surprise, as, as you mentioned, about how this started. Uh, but it also has going for it that it feels so insanely fresh because you see guys you haven't seen on TV for three years or for 30 years in some of their cases. Uh, and so it's got that going for it. Junior Dos Santos, maybe we'll talk about that a little bit later, but absolutely delivered. And so, yeah, can't wait to see what happens. I, I guess it's not going to be in the the five on five unless they uh, unless a woman joins the inner circle. But Paige Van Zant, I, I understand. I've been informed that she does not need the money, but <laughs> she's got to become a pro wrestler. Like, get her in the ring. God, I her on Rampage and her on Dynamite, just like MVP, I would argue of both shows. Like getting into the ring afterwards and pulling up Instagram, like doing selfies while kicking, while kicking them, just rules. And she she gets it on a level that's like this is someone that I mean WWE wanted Paige Van Zant for a long time. Like this was something that like dating back because she was a, I think she was on a season of The Ultimate Fighter, like. 2016 2017 when she was really young and everyone's like oh yeah no she should go into wrestling yeah she should and AEW now that she has they have her on tv need to find a way to use her a whole lot more because it's something that like it like they need to get a female member of the inner circle because we need to get Paige Van Zandt involved in this match we have to at this point like it's got to happen I might have been the high person on Ronda Rousey as a pro wrestler I didn't watch all her stuff, but the stuff I watched, I thought she was great. And she has a lot of physical charisma, but no charisma as like a talker in any way, or like even her facial expressions are very bad around <laughs> Rousey. Just everything seems fake. Paige Van Zandt like immediately is able to have characterization in a charismatic way. So, uh, and I know she isn't a tenth of the fighter Ronda Rousey was or whatever, but uh, I bet she could be an excellent pro wrestler. Okay. Uh, I also like this, look, Scorpio, not my favorite, but I like that they're continuing that thread. Yeah, that's interesting. And they're giving you something to sink your teeth into. So that's nice. All right, next up, uh, the AAA tag titles. So what we knew is that it was going to be the Lucha Brothers against a surprised masked team. Uh, Mike and I went through all the possibilities on light over on our Patreon, and we basically came to the fact that it should be uh, gringos that we all knew who they were uh, in in masks. And that's what we got, Las Superanas, and it was uh, FTR under the masks, which was pretty quickly uh, unveiled. The masks were taken off pretty quickly, and uh, FTR wins the AAA tag titles. Uh, FTR bald pinned Phoenix after a brain buster and a belt shot. Another thing that, that CM Punk did great on commentary was he played along with the fact that uh, that Las Superanas were a tag team. It's like, oh, where's El Kanek at this point? Could they not fight El Kanek? And, and then very clearly, he was like hamming it up for a second. And then he dropped all the pretenses even for their unmasked and said like, oh yeah, look at them. That's FTR. That's FTR. And it just was nice to have like, people not insulting your intelligence because FTR have two very distinctly are very distinct body types, even when they're wearing full body suits and masks. So like it really picks up from there. Uh, interesting kind of response for FTR winning the tag team titles and what it was like a fun match. Like this crowd, like Miami sometimes is off and on 
as a wrestling crowd, but this crowd got into this match in a way that was a little bit surprised how much they were into a FTR versus Lucha Brothers match. But like the the response that we've seen about people uh, about FTR becoming the tag team champions on AEW TV after Lucha Brothers uh, being, I think it was almost two years being, or maybe just over two years being tag team champions has been kind of interesting. Uh, uh, people who are more ingratiated in the Lucha scene are like, oh yeah, this is going to be exactly what you expect or everyone should blame Conan, which, you know, yeah, I mean, sure, Conan probably wants a job at AEW, but when have AAA really shown any deference to their titles? But I thought this was a lot of fun and I liked how they immediately paid off on why they were here and, you know, showing the interconnectivity of FTR doing this for Andrade not more than 10 minutes later. I thought that that was all really well done. My major criticism is one of those, another one of the, those things that I just have to learn to live with if I'm going to watch AW, which I am, which is I hate champions losing matches that aren't for the promotions titles. So uh, there was interference or, you know, there was whatever, a, a belt shot and all that stuff. So I get that. I, and I just don't like seeing Phoenix get pinned, period. So even in this kind of scenario, I wish they would have pinned Pentagon, but those are just things that I hyper-focus on. This was fine as it was. And, you know, FTR pretty dead as an act. So this is a pretty good way to try to get them going again. So, you know, I don't mind that. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. Like, this is something that for this tag team to really have any juice, they need to have some reason to have juice. And this was a smart way to do so. And I'm very excited for FTR showing up in Mexico to no response, working their kind of match and everything trying to go their way. And it's just, no one's going to be interested in it. That's going to be very funny to me. So yeah, no one should pin Phoenix. So Phoenix now you're absolutely right about that. All right. My rants are making the show go long. So we'll speed run uh, the rest of this. Uh, It's all good. LBO. What's that? It said it's all good. Yeah, LBO, Leo, and Dante uh, are backstage with Tony Schiavone. Tony, very busy on this show. And the upshot of this is uh, Leo announces that he is going to be tagging with Dante going forward. Uh, the look on Dante's face told the story here. I, I, I love this act. I, and it's going to be a, a good thing for when Darius' his knees holds up is heals up and he comes back there like you have a natural storyline here and i think that this will be a fun thing like, like that's the thing about this show like really everything on the show w- with the exception of some of the backstage segments everything worked and it's something that you know for these saturday night shows remember last night saturday night shows we were just kind of just groaning through it and said this was a great episode and i don't know what the plans are with leo but if you kind of assume that there's that you're not assuming Leo is going to be in this company for the next 10 years or whatever. Then when Darius comes back, Dante beating Leo in a singles match is like a great way for him to continue being elevated. So I like this. I'm excited about it. And Leo's good. So them tagging together should be fun to watch. And maybe we can get the Blackheart Leo Rush after that. Like we, we right, need to get baby. the Blackheart on TV. That's right. And as Mike mentioned earlier, the next segment, we had uh, Tony Schiavone catching up with FTR and Andrade as they were leaving through the stairwell. Uh, MJF is there. They do a thing where Andrade is 
paying him for FTR services. And MJF just, you know, emphasizes that it was a one night only thing. So we shouldn't think there's any tie between Andrade and FTR. So uh, a nice bow tied on the segment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the only other like kind of funny thing about this was MJF insisting on both cash and a check. Like that was the other thing there. But yeah, yes, Tony Schiavone, the person who's on the show the most this week, now that I'm looking at a run sheet. Uh, yes, he was. Uh, MJF, no, I wrote MJF. It was John Moxley, of course, versus Wheeler Yuta. And it lasted about uh, 10 seconds and Mox won with a paradigm shift. Yeah, so we're building Mox. It's similar to, I think, how they did Omega in that first uh, eliminate or I'm no no right. was the first, but the last eliminator tournament. That's kind mm-hmm. of what we're doing with Mox here. Tony was backstage with Serena Deeb. Uh, she says that while she was on her sabbatical, she noticed that the women's division was too fun. They got too comfortable. I'm not sure uh, what Miss Deeb was watching, but they are also that makes sense after the thing with Sheeta coating her much more heel, and uh, Hikaru Sheeta attacked her. So we're continuing that story. I mean. I, as as Nate and I were talking about, they got to find a way to keep a Karashita at 49 wins for a while <laughs> because like this is actually a, like pretty interesting. It's just a shame that they're, the other women's backstage segment that happened less than half an hour later was basically the exact same thing. The trios match was next. Uh, Adam Cole pinned Alex Reynolds after a BTE trigger and the boom. Uh, I think, I guess it was Excalibur, but the way he called it was just... Something like, and Adam Cole lowers the boom. And it was just the way he said it. It was like, oh, this is a dumb name for a move, but you figured out like a great way to just throw it in there without it sounding so dumb. So it was nice. Absolutely. After the match, uh, Jungle Boy came out. Of course, he was outnumbered, uh, but he grabs a chair. Everybody runs except Cutler. This was a fun little part where he blocked Cutler's cold spray with the chair, then hits the chair shot on Cutler puts him in the snare trap and hits the cold spray in the face while the rest of the super elite look on. Great flunky. All-time great flunky, Brandon Cutler. Absolutely. This was good. Uh, I hope we get a Jungle Boy versus Cutler match. I think that should definitely happen. Did you ever watch that Kaz versus Cutler match that I was talking about where like Cutler just eats shit for five minutes? Was that on YouTube? That was on Dark. Yeah, it was on YouTube. I don't remember it, so I must not have. Colors would be great in that kind of match. Like, I want to see this really badly. Just replay it, but use Jungle Boy spots in instead of the Elite Hunter. No Elite Hunter on, like, the last few few TV shows, by the way. Very sad. Why isn't he Uh, in the tournament? He has, like, he, like, beats everyone other than the Elite. That's, like, a strong win-loss record. He should be in this (laughs) tournament. (laughs) You're uh, you're not wrong. Uh, Then we had this Cody vignette. Basically, he shows up at the Rhodes Wrestling Academy, and uh, the people there are mad that he's late. They're calling him Hollywood. They got him in the ring doing some wrestling drills where everybody's kind of coming at him, and he's doing arm drags and whatnot. Uh, but they're you know getting the better of him. He gets mouth blood, and then Arn shows him a pic of him and Dusty. Uh, he says, I know, I hear you. Don't want to let the kids down. But this night, and this is a, a picture of Dusty getting blood from Arn. And he says, do you think on this night that there was any kid in that building that thought Dusty let them down by putting 36 stitches in my head? No. And Arn says it's because he had it coming. And he tells Cody that Malachi Black has it coming. This is like, this is excellent storytelling. Uh, this whole thing where Arn ties in, like, 
you don't let and it plays on to like things that Cody Cody not the wrestler but Cody the person actually thinks and says like oh I can't be healed because you know uh, I want to I want the kids to be happy and support me blah 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 but Arn turns it into pro wrestling which is like no that that's you're not you are you are doing what the kids and what everybody needs you to do when you overcome evil right so it makes perfect sense it's great yeah uh also red velvet just smacking the crap out of cody like, like it's worth noting that the people that he was training with were all nightmare family people it was uh it was red velvet it was kylan king it was uh, lee johnson it was brock anderson did, did and i think like that was something that was worth mentioning because like because red velvet just hauled off and paintbrushed him to start the segment but yeah no uh it's something that Arn Anderson's threading the needle really well here and connecting the dots in this storyline. Sean Dean was there too. I just remembered. I didn't know Sean was there. Okay. The captain. I'm pretty sure. I could be wrong. Somebody will correct me if I was, but yeah. Uh, this was weird, but Arn's thing at the end made it good, tied it together in a good way. MJF was in the ring. He's got his gear on. He says he's ready for the match with Darby. Commentary is telling us Darby's not there. Uh, MJF's like, oh, I don't know if he's here. You said I couldn't break you mentally, but now you no-showed. So uh, we're going to do a match anyway. Wardlow brings, uh, drags Bryce Rimsburg to the ring. MJF tells him to count to 10 if Darby doesn't come out. MJF wins. Uh, I'm, as this is happening, I'm thinking like, oh, what are they going to do here? Because uh, wins and losses matter in AEW. So if they actually go through with this, how are they going to address it? Uh, but instead... Uh, the snow falls, Sting's music hits, he comes out. Um, MJF, when confronted by Sting, throws Wardlow in front of him and and runs out. So, of course, uh, this is going to lead to Sting versus Wardlow. Now, I wish. As it should. Yes. As it should. I want to, I, I, I'm excited to see uh, Sting with Wardlow, to be quite honest. Absolutely. Well, this was, this was really good. Like, I don't know. It's a good story. It's fun. Uh, Sting's involvement makes sense and works. Good pro wrestling. That's a thread through this show, other than the women's division, which was featured next. Uh, Tony was backstage with Anna Jay. Britt interrupted almost immediately. She says the Dark Order are losers, and Anna Jay is nothing without them and Ty Conti, and they brawled, and that's going to lead to uh, a match next week. I forget on which show, but it's going to be on one of the shows. Rampage, I think. Rampage. Rampage, yeah. And that led into Penelope Ford versus Kier Hogan. Penelope won with the Muta Lock, the Muta Lock, the Muta Lock, and uh, Ruby Soho attacked after the match. Uh, the high point of the match to me was like the crazy bump that both of them took off that superplex. Like Penelope Ford like jumped like three quarters of the ring diagonally on that superplex. That was sick. Yeah, that was good. I agree. Uh, we got surprised this hasn't come up. Uh, we had a Miro pre-tape next uh where he is promoing on god and he said uh, he asked god where he is he says I, I can't go home to my wife like this you gave me a body of granite and a neck of sand and uh, he closes it by saying god you will make me your champion or you will make me your enemy uh he subverted it we all were getting kind of tired of like his uh redeemer promos talking about his double-jointed wife and his old testament god now he's He's trying to get back the wife because he can't go home yet, and he wants to beat up God. So 
let's go. <laughs> yeah, this is great. It's uh, a perfect next step for the Miro character, and it gets you reinvested in him all over again. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I forgot who posted this on Twitter. I apologize, but someone did a photo of, like, the lighting of Miro was, like, this really, it, it was a really dark uh, area, but he except for a yellow key light on him that was directly reminiscent of Apocalypse Now with Captain Kurtz or Colonel Kurtz on it. And it, and someone put the photo of Marlon Brando right next to him. And I was like, oh, yeah, this can get, we're going to get some Joe, we're going to get some like hard darkness stuff up here with, oh, with Miro. Like Miro is going to get really, like, I mean, he, he believes in an Old Testament God. So it's going to get, uh, it's going to get violent out of Miro. The Hangman Page promo was next. I won't subject you to further thoughts on the promo. Uh, just rewind if you want to think about it again. Uh, then the main event was Brian Danielson versus Bobby Fish, and uh, Danielson won the match with a heel hook. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. It was out of Bobby Fish stuff since he's been in the promotion, easily the best match he had in the promotion. And that's not to say that his match he had the night before against Lee Moriarty was bad whatsoever. Uh, it was funny that the Miami, he finally got a, you're going to get your fucking head kicked in chant in Miami, the one city where you would not think you would get that chant. <laughs> he didn't get it in Philadelphia, but he got it in Miami. And uh, that they worked pretty well basing it off of Danielson's knee. And then he had him in a heel hook. And then Danielson went 50-50 and got one of his own and his was stronger. You know, just, just one of those capital G, capital M good matches. And I th again, I think it's the best match that Fish has had so far. I really love that Danielson has, I think he's won every match with a different finish. Could be wrong about that, but he's certainly had at least three different finishes. And this wasn't yeah. even, I don't, this wasn't even like establishing a finish. I think this was just, I can win a match and here's me winning a match. And right. it, it's not, I don't expect him to win. Okay. So this is like a, a secondary or tertiary guy in Bobby Fish. I don't expect him to always beat those guys with heel hooks. For example, mm -hmm. I think he's just I think what's interesting to Danielson and, and TJ Hawk has talked about this a lot on Twitter is one of those things that's going to be interesting to him is also is almost like Enochiism of like, oh, no, I can finish matches any way I want to. I don't have to do the same moves in every match and the same finish in every match. And I think that's going to be refreshing and it's going to make uh, the Danielson thing even more exciting than it already is. Yeah, because especially because it's like Danielson's the one who's doing that. It's like, yeah, Punk has won with the Anaconda Vice and has won with the GTS. Yeah, Kenny has won with V-Triggers and he's won with the Winning Angels. But the variety with Danielson, the fact that he's the one doing the variety makes him stand out. And, you know, it's something where it's just like com completely makes sense. All right, Bobby Fish got has been working the knee. He caught me in the knee. But I was able to take advantage of the situation, put it back on him and win. And it's something that you don't – the wins can come out of nowhere with Brian Danielson. And I think that's a, that'll be a really fun thing to watch in this eliminator tournament is if he's going to like win off, win with a flying headbutt, like I'm expecting that next or like the, or like the uh, elbow, the hammer blows, the uh, elbows to the head, you know I mean? It's going to be pretty interesting to see how they work his finishes. Cause I think that now they, they have something here with Danielson and it's a nice little new dimension to his wrestling. It definitely reminds you of that 2005 uh, Ring of Honor run where his finishes would be, uh, you know, they would change or, you know, he would do different stuff to finish matches. So I think he's kind of doing a lot of that stuff, uh, which is fun and it's a new audience getting to see it. So it's very exciting. 
Uh, the last thing they did on the show was announce the brackets for the Eliminator Tournament. We, You probably understand who they all are, even if you didn't see it, just by what we've talked about so far. But the matches are 10 versus John Moxley, Orange Cassidy versus Powerhouse Hobbs. That's the left side of the bracket. And the right side of the bracket is Dustin Rhodes versus Brian Danielson and Lance Archer versus Eddie Kingston. Uh, I expect that we'll kind of talk this out more on a future show uh, because we've talked so much on this episode already. But uh, <laughs> I'm sure we'll get into our our thoughts on how this is all going to end up uh, somewhere else. So that's the bracket. And it's going to, I think it kicks off next week. So uh, we'll be talking about it very soon. All right. I promised, and I, now I'm uh, wishing we hadn't promised that we were going to talk Rampage <laughs> on the show, but uh, that's okay. We will, because there was some good stuff on there. Uh, I mean, the main thing I think to talk about from, well, there was the buy-in first, so we should talk about that. Right. And the main thing from that is uh, Danielson versus Suzuki. I think that's what everybody came out of Friday night talking about. Yeah, this is the thing that, you know, even though like you had the spectacle match here, this was the big good match. And I think it was just something that they went out there. They had, if you were to ask me what an 18 minute Brian Danielson versus Minoru Suzuki match would be, it's every bit of what happened there. Just, it, it was something that was like really cool. Like Brian Danielson, like in the start of it, he, you could tell with him that he was trying not to smile. Like this guy was so happy that this match was happening that like, he was like, forcing like seriousness and it's just something where like it the thing that really like cracks me up about this match and this match was fun it was great like it's exactly what you would hope for in the match like this was just like brian danielson being like all right i want you to beat the crap out of me and then minoru suzuki for for who minoru suzuki is as a wrestler it pops me the way he bumps so yeah danielson doing incredibly realistic stuff and then and then like minoru suzuki making silly faces and bumping really funny and it just adds to the mystique here it just was a really a really a whole lot of fun and i was just vibing watching this like this was something that you know uh, on like the buy-in that was basically matches building up stuff for uh dynamite and then ty conti and santana Grierit. uh lee moriarty had his theme that rocked Lee Moriarty's new thing. Mikey Ruckus did it again, Aaron. Mikey Ruckus did it again. And then they replayed stuff from Rotu on it. But like the big highlight, of course, was this uh, great match. Mikey Ruckus, that motherfucker don't miss. That's, I mean, that's just all I can say about him. I mean, I'm trying to think the last Mikey Ruckus theme that I did not incredibly enjoy. I can't think of one. He just doesn't no. miss. He doesn't miss. Uh, yeah, the... The Danielson Suzuki match was it was funny in some ways because you could almost see Suzuki getting more interested in the match as it went on. Yes, very much so. <laughs> we talked about that on light of like, well, how what is Suzuki gonna give in this match? Like, does he care about this match? And I definitely think when it kicked off, he was like, Oh, I'm just gonna do the stuff I do in most matches. And you know, I'll do the funny faces and you know, we'll hit each other hard and that'll be fun. But it seemed like he got more interested in what was happening as the match progressed, and that certainly helped the match. Uh, hit the shit out of Brian Danielson, and I love just watching people hit each other hard in wrestling matches. Uh, the closer it gets to danger, the more interested I am. If that makes me wrong, I'm wrong. But it's just how I feel. That, I mean, obviously everybody's been talking about the forearm to Danielson that put him down, you know, the very first one. And that was insanely sick. Uh, 
it rocked. I mean, it opened Danielson up on his cheek there, which was interesting. Uh, And then they had the one later where it was a similar forearm strike and Danielson went down, but then he just hit the fighting spirit and popped back up and I lost my fucking mind. I mean, I just was so excited. I was with them. Uh, definitely the rest of the match if I even though I had already been with them so it was just cool it was fun to watch and it didn't mean anything in the grander scheme of things and it didn't have to that's what was good about it yeah no like as I said on light this was a match that most likely would have happened at WrestleCon weekend if it was going to happen in the states so why not put it up on YouTube like anyone's like, oh, you're hot shotting. Nope, that's not understanding what hot shotting means. This is, oh, we have an opportunity here, and this is like a cool match to do and get some buzz, and it did that. And, you know, uh, as much as I enjoy Brian Danielson, I do respect the fact that he's trying to like beat the crap out of himself and he's trying to speed run, like, like getting an injury. And it's fantastic. Like talking about the danger there, because like every match, his chest is blistered up that sick forearm there you know i mean this was bad brain season and it rules for that and I, I haven't been able to load it up quickly enough to see where it's at now but i know it was at like five hundred and fifty thousand views pretty soon after uh this episode so you know i think a lot of people watched it which is uh what they wanted it's up it's almost up to almost eight hundred thousand views so and that's more than most of what they have uh on here that doesn't involve CM Punk basically. So yeah. So I think it was uh pretty damn successful. Yeah. The other stuff on the show, you pretty much talked about um, Ty Conti. So there was talk about how Ty Conti and Santana Garrett had an NXT match. That was like the first quarter hour that beat uh, AEW. And it was like this insanely bad match that looked like they were practicing the match. And so I was like, Oh, you know, Tony's going to, just shit on or flex on the developmental system uh, in WWE with this. And I guess he did in that Ty Conti is like a totally different person than she was in that match. Yeah. But it's like, Oh, Santana Garrett is, was still just like walking through spots <laughs> in this match. So, Oh, Santana. She's so slow. Everything she does is very slow. It's, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. there's, there's <laughs> no reason to talk about that anymore. Really? Uh, uh, you mean the fuchsia catnap, uh, Santana Garrett? <laughs> wild look for her. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she looked wild. So anyway, then we had Rampage. Um, we can run down this one. Punk versus Seidel. Uh, Punk won with the GTS. Uh, this was good, but I, I think just from reading Twitter, I'm the low man on this match. So I think you probably, I'm assuming you really liked it, Mike. So feel free to talk about it. Yeah, I thought this match was really well done. And I guess like the thing that gets me about this match was less CM Punk, more Matt Seidel. And the thing that about like Matt Seidel, who like they openly talked about like their history and all the lead up about it, is like IWA Mid South, where Punk was like the touring indie star at a time where there weren't very many touring indie stars, and IWA Mid South was his home. And Matt Seidel was like a college kid from St. Louis, and then in Ring of Honor as well. And it's like the idea of how different of a wrestler Matt Seidel is. He's basically like a yoga technician now, which kind of rules. And he was like doing like some crazy submissions there. Uh, they just decided to just do a whole lot of apron bumps, which was very, very funny and backdrops that people love power uh, body slams. This was the body slams match. Uh, 
CM Punk did have the funniest take I've ever seen out of the lightning spiral where he just kind of like fell over, which popped man. You know, I thought that that was, I, for what I was expecting out of this match, like this was not something where I was expecting this to be a star power or like a throwing stars at the screen match. I thought this match was perfectly acceptable. It's someone that, you know, CM Punk has worked with before. And I just really need to see what's, what is going to happen to CM Punk at this point? I'm kind of tired of matches where he just go out there and have a good match. Like that's not why CM Punk's here. I'm also kind of tired of him coming out and then them spending three minutes on his entrance every show. Like that's starting to get to me as well. Right. I mean the the match itself. If you know, if I just was like, oh, somebody told me to watch this match, and I just turned it on. Like, oh, that was a good match. I enjoyed that match. I think Punk is more compelling versus heels in the matches he's had so far in AEW. Right. But, yeah, for sure. But this was a it was a good match. But but why did it exist? What was the point of it? Uh and if you tell me, oh well we're we gotta have a punk match on TV, that's fine. I'm I can accept that. Yeah. That's fine. But who what was accomplished in this match? Because you can have a punk match on TV and also accomplish things, I think. And yeah. this didn't this didn't do anything for Matt Seidel, I don't think. He wasn't even involved in the uh Leo Rush and Dante Martin thing on dynamite even though that was kind mm-hmm. of the story coming into this so i don't think anything was accomplished for Seidel. you know cm punk beating matt Seidel doesn't do anything for him in, in aew so i just don't know what we did here what we gained what we learned what we accomplished by having this match no this was a match to have a match with cm punk on tv like yeah, there's no it, other that, there's no maybe that's just it. a me thing i've talked on this show yeah. several times today about like Oh, there's some stuff I just don't get that AEW does, and I just have to accept it. Maybe this is one of those things. But I just think you can serve your TV masters and your story masters at the same time. That's all. No. No, you're absolutely right. Like, it's just something that, like, the fact that I say they did this match, I've seen Punk to have a match on TV, that that's proving your point. Like, it's there's no defense to it whatsoever. Yeah, and, you know... There's nothing wrong with just having a match that's fun to watch on TV. I think Aaron Taub said that to us after listening to Light. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, it's just, I think there's more that can be done. I think you got to give Punk something to sink his teeth into. Uh, Ruby versus the Bunny. Man, this Bunny really exposes the win-loss thing because they protected her by having Ruby win with a flash pin. Why? I'll never fucking understand. And Bunny... This made Bunny 11 and 11. Why the fuck does she need protection? Yeah, no, there, there's no reason for that whatsoever. And it's something that it's like, this is playing into the TBS title tournament. It's like, she now has a 500 record in comparison to other people in this division. This should be like, and now she's eliminated for a contention to be in the TBS title tournament. Like, that's what should have happened here. And then why does Ruby have to use a flash pen to beat her and not her? I don't even know. I forget what she calls her upkick, her Pele kick variant. I think it's like the right kick, maybe. Or that's what she called it in WWE. I don't know what she calls it here. But yeah, why? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. And I forget who said this, but somebody said, well, that's because this backside looked better than her finish, which is true. I can't dispute that. But uh, Ruby should just beat people, man. She's cool. People like her. Uh, Don't fuck it up. Just like let Ruby Ruby cook is all I'm saying. And then the the main event was an inner circle versus men of the year Junior Dos Santos match, and it was sick as fuck. Uh, I already said that Scorpio pinned Jericho 
after a Jorge Masvidal knee strike. Um, it just fucking ruled. I don't. There's what else? What do you need to say about it? It was awesome. I'm gonna say my catchphrase. I had a great time. This match is just what all you would want is. It was abject chaos. Uh, Junior Dos Santos, uh, Wrestling Observer Rookie of the Year 2021. We're gonna make this happen, and it just was. Just a whole lot of fun. Jake Hager just looked completely like, like the fact that like then uh, Junior DeSantos was like kneeing him in the stomach and all that. And I was like, oh, okay, this is actually happening here. Uh, uh, Paige Van Zandt immediately afterward taking the selfie of the Instagram. Me like this is they do great with like these spectacle freak show matches. And this was another one of those like spectacle freak show matches that I just absolutely love like if they can find a way once a month to have a spectacle freak show match i will be happy as a pig in mud if you like hearing us talk about rampage we do it every week on the patreon except these crazy saturday weeks patreon.com slash everything elite uh we have three tiers over there uh three dollars five dollars eight dollars here's the difference three dollar you get our show light where we preview dynamite we talk about dark and elevation uh, Nate does the BTE recap. So, you know, we're covering everything AEW does on the Patreon, but you get that for three bucks. Five bucks, you get that, but you get every other piece of audio that we do on the show. For example, this week we had part two of our This Is Brian Danielson episode where we looked at five matches that spanned uh, Danielson's career and talked about, really, we talked about the the indie landscape throughout his career it was a lot of fun uh, and we got what over two hours of well over two hours of audio yeah close two to and two and a half, half hours. hours yeah close yeah, to be- that between the between the two episodes so you'll get that kind of stuff plus the the rampage episode that we call world tour that we do every week uh we have the discord and then at the eight dollar tier you'll get uh the main show a live stream where you can listen to it live as we record plus you can listen to the uh, the replay of it uh, forever, but you know, until it gets posted on uh, our feed. So you got plenty of time to check that out. Uh, that's at the $8 feed. That's pretty much what you get. I know Mike, you're working on a bonus episode that's going to come out next week. Yeah. So I'm doing a Mike's tea break, which is kind of my long form kind of just theory in a way, like how we are talking long form about the cowboy ship promo. That's kind of what I do over there. This time, uh, talking about the status of wrestling in Japan as they have ended their state of emergency and as the year comes to a close. And, you know, America opened up with wrestling a lot sooner than Japan. And I'm taking a look at what I consider the major promotions in Japan, how they've kind of faced COVID and how things are looking for them in the short and long term because of COVID. And that should be coming out on Wednesday. I've been talking to my folks about that, and I've only buried so far four different promotions in this. So we'll, we'll, we'll see if I said new high score. Yeah, so the, the Patreon generally is covering everything that AEW does, and then additional stuff that we just want to talk about at length. Uh, we have an opportunity to do it whenever we want, and so... We do. So if you like hearing us talk, if, you, if you're if you a big AEW fan, you have to subscribe because you get everything. But if you also just like us and you want to hear us talk about other stuff that we are very passionate about, uh, you'll get a chance to. So head over patreon.com slash everything elite and sign up. Uh, of course, uh, in November, we'll have instant reactions for full gear, a preview of uh, 
full gear. We'll look back at last year's full gear. So we do lots of coverage around the pay-per-views. So get into that. Also, uh, Rampage coming up next week is going to have Britt Baker versus Anna Jay. Andrade versus Pac. Early returns on that or that it was good, or at least Dave Meltzer says so. And the Eliminator Tournament starts. I know there's a spoiler out there of which match it is. I don't remember which one it is, but I know there's an Eliminator match on that show. Mm-hmm. Then we I have, say spoiler-free for that kind of stuff. So, yeah. I just saw somebody say who it was. I can't remember, I can't remember now which one it was, so I'm not going to say so. Um, and then there's going to be another Saturday Dynamite next week uh, out of Orlando, and it is going to have Malachi Black versus Cody Rose and then two Eliminator matches of the first round uh, tournament matches. So what we'll do is probably similar to this week. Uh, our light show that I talked about, which is usually on Wednesday mornings, will probably be on Friday morning again next week. And we'll look at Rampage and Dynamite. And so that's on the $3 tier on our Patreon. And then I, I bet we will do another Sunday free uh, weekly free show that will cover Dynamite and will also touch on Rampage, kind of like we did this week, except hopefully it'll work out for all three of us to be together again. Uh, but that's what's coming up next week uh, in AEW and in the Everything Elite universe. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think that's everything for this week. So make sure you're following us on Twitter at Everything AEW. I'm at Aaron Like the Car. Mike is at Fujiheya. Nate, who's on assignment, is at Epitasis. Subscribe, rate, and review us. Subscribe to the Patreon. Head over to my bookie. Use the promo code Elite to get double your deposit. And uh, that's everything. So for Mike, for the on assignment, Nate, I'm Aaron. We'll see you next week. Okay.